Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. A very happy Friday to you. Make sure you find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com and download the KSL Sports app. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, if you do follow me on Twitter, you can DM me. You can tweet at me whenever I ask for questions ahead of uh, these mailbag podcasts I'd like to do. So I appreciate everyone who follows me. Again, if you don't, do it at Ben's Hoops. It's the easiest way to uh, get in touch with me. I'll even answer your DMs if you'd like to send them to me that way uh, and don't want to put it on the main timeline. I totally understand. And I'll usually get back to you before, uh, before every week. I'll, I'll try and answer your question as soon as I see it. So let's get to some of those mailbag questions. The Jazz have beat the Memphis Grizzlies in the opening round of the playoffs. They will be watching tonight between the Clippers and the Mavericks to see the winner of that game. If Dallas wins, the Jazz will play Dallas. They'll host them on Sunday here in Salt Lake City at 1.30. If they lose, those two teams will play on Tuesday in Game 7, or I should say in Sunday on Game 7, and the Jazz will face the winner of that game, either the Mavericks or the Clippers, coming up on Tuesday at 8 p.m. here in Salt Lake City. So it should be a uh, fun series. Let's get to your questions. Appreciate, again, everyone tweeting at me. Why are the Jazz the NBA's top rebounding team? This comes from uh, Jake PPPPP on Twitter. He said it's been a little under the radar, but the Jazz are basically the top rebounding team this season. Why is this? Uh, There's three reasons. One, Rudy Gobert. Two, the Jazz defense. Three, the team's execution. One, Rudy Gobert is a world-class rebounder, and we talk so much about his defense. One thing I think that gets lost is how good of a rebounder he is. Do people realize Gobert is the fifth best defensive or the fifth best rebounder in league history? Not by average uh, as far as, you know, raw per game, but I mean his rebound percentage is the fifth best ever. He trails Andre Drummond, Dennis Rodman, Reggie Evans, and DeAndre Jordan. Otherwise, he's got the fifth highest rebounding percentage in league history. So he's a phenomenal rebounder. Second of all, because he's such a good defensive player and the Jazz don't try and force turnovers, because Rudy's so good defensively, they know they're going to have a great result by funneling uh, opposing defenses towards him. Those teams miss shots. Instead of the Jazz trying to get steals you know, and takeaways that way, they try and force other teams to miss shots. Well, miss shots make for rebounds, and so the Jazz get extra rebounds that way. Third, Quinn Snyder mentions this all the time, execution. When Rudy Gobert does rotate to block a shot, to defend a shot, whatever, the other players on the roster have to uh, rotate over 
and box out Ru- uh, Rudy Gobert's guy and then get those rebounds. And it's something Royce O'Neal has made a bunch of money doing now uh, because he's gotten very good at it. It's something Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, uh, Donovan Mitchell all have to cons- uh, consistently work on. Quinn Snyder brings it up every week when we talk to him. And uh, and that's why. And they've done it. They- they've executed well. So Gobert, defense, execution are the three reasons, uh, Jake, that the Jazz are really the best defensive team in the NBA. Or I should say the best rebounding team in the NBA. Uh, coming up next, the Sporty Bros on Twitter, the Sports Bros, is time off before the second round good? This is a big question. Uh, you know, this plagued the Jazz before the 1998 finals. They swept the Lakers and then had to wait forever for the Bulls to beat the Pacers. And then they went into game one, or maybe it was 97. But regardless, the Jazz ended up, uh, you know, looking really rusty in game one and didn't come out and play well. Uh, and a lot of people think that might have been the reason they lost the series. So, Looking at this, you look at game one, and it's really easy to point at the Jazz and say, hey, they lost game one to the Memphis Grizzlies because they hadn't played since the previous Sunday. They played that next Sunday. Those six or seven days off ended up being so long while Memphis had played the Spurs twice and then played the Warriors once for the right to advance and and get to the first round of the playoffs. And because they did that, you know, they looked a little sharper. Maybe that's true. Uh, the Jazz were certainly rusty in Game 1. They had a bunch of turnovers, live ball turnovers, and they shot the ball extremely poorly. They were also just playing without Donovan Mitchell, who had that weird late-game scratch uh, right before uh, the game started on Sunday. Had Donovan Mitchell played, and played like he looked, what, that following Tuesday when, when they did get him back, uh, maybe the Jazz just win that Game 1 and they sweep the series, and we're not talking about rust in Game 1 at all. I, I think that's very possible as well. As soon as the Jazz got Donovan Mitchell back, their execution was fine, and they looked really good. So... I do think rust can be an issue. I think it's probably less likely at this point now that you've kind of, you know, you're accustomed to the playoffs. You're accustomed to what to expect. You know how teams are going to play. Rudy Gobert today said, it's not as long, so it's all about taking care of ourselves and our bodies. And that's talking about the difference between game one in the second round and game one in the first round. It's on us to make sure that we stay sharp in everything that we do. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, the passer. Donovan had 10 assists in game five. Many unspectacular passes, Robert Rose says. Did those look... Did those looks come from playing four games in a row and knowing how the defense was reacting, or is he becoming a much more skilled passer? I think the answer is both, and I know that's a boring question, but Donovan Mitchell, going back to the bubble now more than a year ago, or I guess almost a year ago, said one of his main focuses during the weird suspension in the middle of the season was to become a better passer because he felt like he did that poorly in his third season, and he came out and he looked better in the bubble. Then he said he wanted to do it again going into the offseason, and he said it again in preseason this year, and he has come out and his assist numbers are up, and he had 10 assists in Game 5 in the closeout, and, and yes, it's both. He recognized what Memphis was doing when they collapse on him. If they can't stay in front of him, he's going to kick the ball out and find the Jazz shooters, and the Jazz shot the ball particularly well in this series in Games 2 through 5. Secondly, he's just a really good passer. I mean, he's just, you know, he's small, he's really quick. Some of that baseball, I think, playing third base, playing the hot corner has made him, you know, has good touch on his his passes, and he can throw the ball really far. He recognized in Game 5 when Memphis was trying to blitz him on the pick and roll, he could stand out uh, near the half-court line and find Gobert and Derek Favors for dunks down low, and those were a couple of assists he got that were really easy. So he's gotten a better passer, and he was really surgical once he recognized exactly what Memphis was trying to throw at him. Do the Clippers or the Mavericks have a better coach? Who would you pick in this series if you could? This question comes from Ross on Twitter. Uh, I mean, Rick Carlisle is the best coach in the NBA, probably. You know, Quinn's in that conversation. There's a few guys that are in that conversation. But Eric Spolstra in uh, in, in Miami, certainly. Greg Popovich, obviously, still going to be there. Uh, 
So if you're just talking about best coach, Rick Carlisle's the best coach and, and better than Teron Liu, then again, give credit to Ron Liu. After losing uh, the first two games of the series, he adjusted, started playing a little bit uh, well, really small. He moved Nick Batum to the five, which is gutsy. He took Zubats off the floor, especially when they're playing without Serge Ibaka. And that kind of gummed up everything for, for Dallas. And they didn't know how to adjust in games three and four. And then they came back in game five and played, you know, Boban Marjanovic. And he was huge. And he kind of blew up the idea that, that the Clippers were going to be able to play small. And so we'll see what happens tonight in game six uh, and what the adjustments go. But right now, Rick Carlisle is the best coach in the NBA, at least between those two. And Luka Doncic might be the smartest player in the NBA right now, at least when it comes to pick and roll coverages. So that helps. He's basically a coach on the floor, as cliche as that sounds, but he's a lot like LeBron. He's a lot like John Stockton. He just, whatever you're going to throw at him, he's going to adjust the offense to, to get it to work right. Uh, I think Dallas is going to match up weird for the Jazz defensively. They didn't play all that well against the Jazz this season. You know, remember uh, the Jazz didn't have Donovan for the first two games. He was out with that concussion. He suffered against the Knicks. The Jazz swept that first two two-game series with Dallas and then lost on the road at Dallas. The main difference being Chris Stapp's Porzingis played in games one and two, and he can't defend Rudy Gobert at all. The Jazz just kept putting him in, in pick and roll coverage, and he failed every time. And then he missed game three in the series, and their defense was much better. And then they shot lights out. They shot like 47% from the three-point line and hit 23 threes, which I would bet is the most a team hit against the Jazz in a regular season game this series. So that was a big part of it. I'll be really curious. Clippers can't go small against the Jazz. I think the Jazz uh, with Rudy Gobert would just kill him. So you're going to have to play big or you have to get Zubats out there and, and they'd probably hope they can get Serge Ibaka back. But who knows when that's going to happen. How do you defend Luka Doncic? That's Jazz and Dodgers fan on Twitter. Well, the first person to figure that out is going to be Rich because uh, no one can figure out how to guard Luka like I just mentioned. But do you want to make him a passer or do you want to make him a scorer? I'm generally of the opinion that guys who are great passers, who are great scorers and passers, you just want to make them scorers. Because you can't stop great scores. That's why Michael always scored. That's why LeBron's always scored. Kobe always scored. Donovan Mitchell always scores. Those guys are going to score. But if you can take away their teammates and throw them out of a balance and throw them out of a rhythm, I think you'll be in good shape. And again, going back to the regular season series, uh, you know, Doncic was good. He's always good. But in games one and two, their supporting cast was pretty bad because Doncic, you know, wasn't getting them the passes that they needed to to find that rhythm. Then in game three that the Jazz lost, they hit, like I mentioned, 23 threes, uh, 17 of which came from Josh Richardson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Jalen Brunson. So even though Luka hit six threes in that game and it was really good, you'll live with that. You can't let Josh Richardson go five for five and expect to win a game, and that's exactly what happened. So same thing I would do with Nikola Jokic, same thing I'd do with Luka Doncic. I can't let them beat me by passing the ball. It's just too easy to get the other teammates involved. And then you're worried about them. And then you can't double team if you have to late in the game because you know the other guys are in rhythm. So my best plan, if it were me, I would try and take away uh, I would try and take away what you see from uh, from Luca as a passer, and I think that's the best approach. Good news is Rudy Gobert and the Jazz defense is actually pretty used now, used to defending guys who get into the paint now and try and kick it out to other shooters. That's what Memphis tried to do, though their shooting doesn't match what Dallas has done. Uh, the Jazz have have gotten used to playing pick and roll with a guy who likes to pull up at mid range like Luca does, because that's what John Morant did as well. How was the Jazz? backcourt defended better this question comes from wesley mortensen on twitter uh, jazz backcourt small how do they do it without switching everything it's all about 
Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors again. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's not a great defensive player. Mike Conley, I thought, struggled in this first series. But Quinn Snyder made adjustments to bring Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors out to about the free throw line to catch up to John Morant and meet him before he could get to that place where he puts the Jazz dropping big in limbo to either throw the lob or push shoot that little push shot over him. Uh, and that's what that's what John Morant did through the first three games. And then the Jazz started meeting him at the free throw line with their big guy. And that cut off the space that he had to throw Jonas Valanciunas or Jaron Jackson Jr. that lob pass. And that made the Jazz a lot better. So they will continue to do that same thing against Luka. But Luka's much better at getting to the paint and getting around your big guy when he comes out to meet you. And that's why they're probably going to be in the second round. And the Grizzlies got eliminated in uh, five games. But that's the difference. That's how the Jazz are better, though. Can Paul George and Kawhi Leonard stop the Jazz offense? This is also from uh, Wesley Mortensen. Uh, probably. You know, they'll, they'll blow it up some. Uh, they're good at that. They're going to make it difficult for the Jazz to come out and try and find ways to, you know, continue to execute with two long-rangey defensive players. Then again, you know, maybe we'll see it tonight, but we just haven't seen a lot of Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic because Luka's, again, so good. It's just hard to stop these great ball handlers in the playoffs they'll dribble around you they'll get screens and screen you off of them so sometimes they may prefer to have a guy like Kawhi or Paul George off the ball to come in as help defenders and they might do that against the Jazz as well if that's the case you've got Patrick Beverly who's going to have to prove that you know he can slow down Donovan Mitchell and he did it at points this season Donovan averaged 24.7 points per game on 53 percent true shooting which are both a little bit below his season average uh, this year, but not so far below that you're like concerned that there's this one-on-one bad matchup that Donovan Mitchell's going to run into that's going to slow him down in the playoffs. So with that in mind, I don't think the Clippers can play small because I think Rudy Gobert, as I mentioned, will, will kill you in the pick and roll. I think the Jazz are going to be able to run their offense. Now, they might make it harder for uh, Boyan Bogdanovich to, to go off like he did, I thought, in the first round. They might make it harder for Jordan Clarkson to go off like he did uh, in games four and five. But I don't think they're going to necessarily stop Donovan Mitchell. What's concerning is that in game one of this series, which was played on New Year's Eve, or I should say on New Year's Day between the Jazz and the Clippers, was that when they focused all their attention on Donovan Mitchell and made him more of a passer, Mike Conley went off for 23 points, or I should say 33 points. He, he hit seven threes. He was great, had seven assists because so much of their attention was on Donovan. Mike Conley has always been that great release release valve. If he's not in this series to open because of that hamstring injury, uh, the Jazz could certainly find themselves in trouble. Uh, If he's back, that's going to be a nice release valve. It's going to be hard to focus in on Donovan Mitchell. Finally, where is Joe Ingles? Why is he waving off the ball? He's not been himself Wesley again. Uh, You know, Joe Ingles' postseason play the last two and really two and a half seasons now has been concerning. I think that's fair to say his numbers take a massive hit. They don't take such a big hit when he's in the starting lineup and either Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley are gone. So that's less than ideal. You want those guys on the floor. But last season, you remember Mike Conley missed games one and two in the series against Denver, and Joe Ingles was brilliant. He averaged 18.5 points, six assists, three and a half rebounds. He shot 50% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. Like Those are great starting point guard numbers, whether it's Mike Conley or Joe Ingles, whoever. Those are fabulous. The Jazz will love those. Even in this series, Joe Ingles was pretty good through the first two games. Now, remember, it was only one game that you missed Donovan Mitchell. That was game one, and he was so-so. But Donovan Mitchell only played 25 minutes in game two, meaning Joe Ingles got more minutes on, more minutes on the floor. And in the first two games against Memphis, 
Joe averaged 12.5 points, 2.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, but he did shoot 66% from the floor and 60% from three. While you'd like to see those scoring numbers up a little bit, if he's shooting that well and he's taking five threes per game like he did in the first two games of this series, I think the Jazz would live with that even without Mike Conley on the floor. So there's a lot of value to having Joe Ingles stepping in for Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell, even if he's not as good when those guys are playing. And the difference there obviously being how many minutes he's playing in these series and in these games with Rudy Gobert. The Jazz this season have matched almost all of Mike Conley's minutes to Rudy Gobert's, and it's the reason why Mike Conley was an all-star this year. And credit to Mike Conley, he's a great player. He took advantage of playing next to one of the truly elite big men in the league. Joe Ingles also knows how to do that, and those numbers fall off significantly when he plays with Derek Favors. So if Joe has to step in and play for Mike Conley, I don't think you'll see these quiet numbers that he had over the last three games of the series when he scored, what, a total of five points on two of 13 shooting like those are incredibly bad numbers I think he'll be better than that otherwise I think you'll see Joe Ingles come in and play much better if he has to start in place of Mike Conley but that'll do it for the Jazz Notes podcast I appreciate everybody who sent in questions I'll try and do this again uh, with a preview of the series once we know exactly who the Jazz are playing make sure to follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops read me at kslsports.com and we'll be back with you again next week Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.